0: So obviously as we, we set off the top, I mean, the rookie camp is going on this week at warrior. You have the, you have the rookie tournament in New York. I don't know why I just said tournament. Like I'm from long Island tournament <laughs> um, in, in one of my roommates in college used to say it like that tournament, um, which if you, if you sound it out, actually probably is how it should be spelled or pronounced. But anyway, um, you have the rookie tournament in, uh, <laughs> in in Buffalo this weekend in training camp, as we said a week from today. So with that in mind, um scott i know you, you were you had some some storylines you, you were looking to follow and bridget as well
1: yeah i mean there's there's a lot i guess you know for me like the most fascinating one is just going to be uh, the whole battle for bottom six jobs because there's just so many bodies there like we know all right so let's say you pencil in jvr james van reams Dyke on the first or second line whatever you know Trent Frederick's going to be on the third line. Seems like most likely as a wing based on Jim Montgomery's comments, although we'll see if, you know, he gets a look at center at some point. But then everything else, it's like, I don't know that anything's really settled. Morgan Geeky's going to play. He's going to be somewhere. But is it third line center? Is it on the fourth line? You know, center wing? Because he can play either. And then you just have, you know, is Milan Lucic going to be a regular? Is he going to be, is he going to end up as, An extra forward, he's not getting cut. He's going to be here. But what's his role? And then, you know, uh, everyone else they've brought in. Patrick Brown, does he solidify a regular role? Jesper Boquist. Um, AJ Greer's back. Jacob Lauko's back and in that competition. Alex Chieson and Danton Heinen on PTOs. Do they win spots and and win contracts? All the young guys who could push that group whether it's georgie Merkulov, johnny beecher mark mclaughlin you know i don't know if fabian myself is necessarily pushing for a bottom six job but maybe he could be a third liner like so maybe throw him in as well i just think that entire group is just there's just so many people there and like a lot of players who bring different things some speed some bigger more physical some you know better defensively like it's just all over the map so just how that plays out i think is going to be really fascinating
2: yeah and you you kind of alluded to my lead storyline which um i think is like fairly obvious because of the lead up to this season losing two of your both of your top two centers um the question around the center position is there's so many different aspects to follow that I'm just going to merge them all into one just following what happens at center because there's questions about, you know, first of all, preseason for us is a lot of fun to evaluate the young talent that we don't really, we don't spend a lot of time. We, we don't spend any time in Providence, uh, Scott and I, like we don't, we, there's no Providence Ruins games we go to. Um, Scott was at a uh, rookie development camp and, and, you know, he saw a f- few of the younger guys this, this off season, but, For a majority of people, it's the first time they're gonna be able to see how those younger centers like Merkulov um, get mixed into the group. Where do they stand? Um, What's their development been like? So evaluating them at center uh, is gonna be something interesting to, to watch and see if they're able to make some sort of a push for a job, as well as how does Pavel Zaka play as potentially the number one center? Uh, how does Charlie Coyle play? Like, where where are they matching them with? Because we've had conversations on here before. Do they put Zaka, keep Zaka with Pasta? Like, it, there's just a lot of rotation that could happen. And it's going to be a lot of trying to find the best fit for those two centers. Um, and then trying to move around the guys in the bottom six. Uh, you mentioned some, there's plenty of players on the Bruins that can play wing and center. Um, and then there's those younger guys we want to see what, what they can do. So uh, center is a huge question for the Bruins, obviously, and there's just going to be a lot of moving pieces that they can slot in. And, and, you know, Montgomery is going to have to try to do as much as he can to find chemistry before the season starts um, and find who the best fit is in, you know, in all four center slots.
0: Yeah. Center ice is a, is a, a massive uh, talking point and place to watch not only in preseason but just throughout the regular season as well and and you know i have less questions on defense i have less questions in goal i mean my my biggest question in goal is 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 one of is you know one of all marker swainman eventually maybe moved and that's just such a who knows but that like as far as their performance goes uh i have no questions and um so for me, it's, it's, it's in addition to what you guys have discussed, but yeah, it's, I, I want to watch Georgie Merkulov and training camp and, and Fabian Lysel and see if, see if some of these younger guys that have, that have higher upside, um, some of the, some of these younger players that are projected to not just be a fourth liner, right? Like see if they can, you know, can they take advantage? I mean, again, we've talked about it. Fabian Lysel is turning 21 in January. You know, he's, he's, he's young, but he's not a fresh faced 18 year old draft pick from two months ago. Like he's, he he, he's starting to get to that point now where it's like okay like you know being a 21 year old in the nhl this day and age is not unheard of and in fact a lot of younger players with higher upside are doing that at this point in their career so i want to see him certainly push for a spot and if he's not on the on the opening night roster that's fine but i want to be able to see him in preseason and know he has he has the potential to help this team as soon as this year and i I would say the same goes for georgie murky another kid who's um what, what 21 years old maybe 20 he's 20,
1: 22, 22 or
0: 23 right so it's it's you know the, these two these two offensive prospects for of the Bruins like they're not like they're at an age where it's not unreasonable at all certainly not in Merkulov's case 22 three I mean come on yeah right so Mer-
1: Merkulov turns 23 October 10th
0: all right so I mean, yeah so I mean that's they have it he'd be 23 to start the season essentially so I mean not to compare him to David Pasternak at all but if you look at David Pasternak, when he was 23 years old, he was already, you know, four years into his NHL career, like an established, you know, 36 plus goal scorer, um, at least, right? And again, I'm not comparing them at all. He was a first round pick. I'm just, I'm only stating the fact that, like, if we're talking age, you can be a productive NHLer at that age, and certainly an NHLer in general at 23 years old. In fact, that's probably, like, I mean one of the more average ages probably in the NHL is people breaking in before they're 23 or maybe yeah, not I don't know. He's, the league, yeah. the changing, but he's right. He's ready.
2: undrafted as well. So like he's, he's kind of a guy that was off people's radar until the Bruins were able to pull him out of college. And that was another really good free agent signing by them. But like to your point about seeing Merkulov and Lysel and I mean, Mason Lorai as well. So even like the younger, the youngest of the group, um, you're going to have a chance to see what they look like against actual you know, NHLers. Uh, it's not just where they rank amongst themselves now. It's it's not even just where they rank in the Bruins depth chart. It's like, okay, is does this young defenseman, say Mason Lori get exposed doing this this or that, and how do we fix that, and how do we develop him further, like finding strengths and weaknesses of those players against NHL talent, against veterans, against players in their prime, and seeing how they match up against those players rather than we're just, you know, we're not talking about seeing them against guys in the AHL or guys in, um, that are also rookies. Like we're seeing them against the NHL talent and we're going to be able to have a better idea of how far they are from making an NHL team. Or maybe if they look ready, you're pleasantly surprised um, by how certain players um, hockey smarts are the way that they know the game, the way that they're able to think at an NHL level, that's all possible. So like, it, it's, it's different to see them in preseason, which is, Unfortunately, pretty short, uh, a short sample size for a lot of the guys because they don't play in all the games. And um, you know, a lot of times the younger guys that aren't expected to make the team play on the road and the more veteran players play at home. So we don't get a chance to see a lot or as many uh, of the combinations we might want to see or as much of certain players as we'd want to see. But you actually do get a sense uh, of where they might rank among NHL talent, um, how far behind they might be or how ready they are.
1: Yeah, and, and what you do get is you get those young kids still playing against NHL talent in those preseason games because a lot of teams do exactly what you just said, which is veterans play at home, then they're not going to make them travel so that the kids go on the road. Well, what that means is you get veteran home team against kids road team. So, you know, all those prospects are still going to get tested, not just in camp against you know, the Bruins roster, but also against other, you know, against the Rangers or Flyers or whoever and face, you know, at least probably, you know, 50 to 60% of like a normal NHL lineup. Um, Lori brings up another, you know, I think just a, not one of the most interesting, because as Brian said, defense seems a little more settled, but, just a storyline to follow is you know does someone upset the apple cart in defense like is there something we're not anticipating because if you line it up right now you'd say okay grizzly mcavoy lindholm carlo forbert chattenkirk Zaboral, probably the seventh defenseman all right does anyone change that does mason laurie push for a job does in ian mitchell or alec regula the two guys they got from chicago for taylor hall who have played some NHL games. It's not like they're completely foreign to this level. Um, you know, do either of them push for a job like someone else that, you know, Riley Walsh, another guy they got this off season, Parker Weatherspoon played NHL games for the Islanders. Like it, it's, it's a group that's maybe lacking in terms of high end prospects outside of Lori, but it is a group that has guys to have played NHL games beyond just, you know, the six or seven we're already penciling in. Um, so I'm a little interested in that. Like, I think my expectation is it's going to play out to chalk basically, but who knows, it, you know, and Laura is certainly the most interesting one there because we know, you know, he said it, he said it, uh, when I had him on the podcast, he said it in interviews at development camp, like he wants to be an NHLer this year, he wants to make the team. So we're, we'll see, you know, is he, is he really ready to do that?
2: And Connor Clifton left in free agency, so that does you know change the depth chart in there a little bit. You know, towards the bottom end, you lose Clifton. That was another person who was at during the playoffs at times the extra defenseman at times playing. So um, he's got a little bit of extra room there. But like you mentioned, defense is so solid for the Bruins. It's not. It's going to take a quite a bit um, or an injury um, for him to crack the lineup out of camp.
0: Yeah, especially when, well, so I I think it's definitely somebody like Derek Forbert's job to lose based off of him being on the team last year. But when you talk about handedness, I mean, you know, if if I if I'm if I'm Mason Lori, it's like I'm looking at Derek Forbert. I mean, if you have if you have McAvoy and Grizzlick and Lindholm and Carlo, I mean, Kevin Shattenkirk wouldn't be a bad guy to mentor. Uh, mason Lawrence on a third pair in his first nhl season at some point and you know also considering the fact that the bruins in theory at least we think might have more trouble scoring this year than last year um because of a little bit of lack of top six punch uh it doesn't hurt to maybe have some a more offensive threat on the back end and Laura to help push offense and create transition that Derek forward just isn't it's not really his game how much yeah, do you they really- love
2: him on the penalty kill so well, much? And I feel like that trumps like so much of what like the upside that we might see like it, that the penalty killing from Derek forward is just like they're they love it and that that they take into consideration so much
0: well that's what I was just gonna say I was gonna say how much do the Bruins value Derek forward's penalty killing and I think honestly the Bruins gonna to have to ask themselves a lot this year um like beggars can't be choosers like we need to uh, we need to address certain things because last year they had the luxury of having the greatest team regular season team in the league's history um at least in the standings um so they had they had the depth uh to to, to and the luxury to sit there and be like well we can use Derek Forber for his PK but when you're lacking offense potentially this year, you might have to sacrifice a little bit to, to gain more in other areas. And and they're going to have to they, – they can't be so stubborn this year. Their roster doesn't allow them to be so stubborn anymore. And, you know, as far as, like, Scott mentioning that the Bruins don't really have many defensive prospects outside of Lorai, I would also add, like, the Bruins don't really need defensive prospects right now because you have your, your number one defenseman for the next decade on your team and Charlie McAvoy Brandon Carlos in his prime uh Mac is still a good player obviously uh you know Holm you have locked up for another whatever seven seasons and 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 you do have Lori right so the Bruins aren't going to be needing a number one defenseman for another template like right now the in their in the Bruins the state of their franchise they don't need to have a ton of defensive prospects because they have young solid better than solid defensemen right now at the NHL level and they do for the foreseeable future so beyond Lori, it's good to have those assurances. You were mentioning, Scott, the guys with the NHL experience, but unlike the center ice position where it's kind of like, where's that next guy coming from? The Bruins have that, like the Bruins have their Patrice Bergeron of 10 years ago right now and Charlie McAvoy and and you have, you know, Mason Lorai coming up too. So they're okay there, but yeah, it's, it's a fair, it's a fair thing to watch. Like we, t- we say the defense is set. If I'm Mason Lorai, I'm, I'm questioning that. Is it set? Can I, can I trump Derek Forber on a third pair? As a left shot, that yeah, I I think I can. So it might not be right away in October uh, or the first week of the season, but something to watch definitely as the season goes on.
1: Yeah, you're right. Like that's I I always think of on conversations like this. Brad Marchand, years later, um, during and it must have been around this time of year. I'm assuming, told us he was like, yeah, when I was younger, like when I went into camp, I I I would point to players on ahead of me you know, quote unquote, ahead of me on the depth chart and say, that's the guy I'm beating out. And it's like, no kid's ever going to admit to that at the time, right? Like, you know, I've talked to a couple, like like I've mentioned Martian saying that to a couple younger players, you know, the last couple of years. And it's like, yeah, obviously like, they're never going to say that. But I do wonder, like Mason Laura internally looks at Derek Forward and says that. I, I hope he does. Like that, that's a great attitude to have. You don't have to be arrogant about it. You don't have to tell anyone you're doing it, but yeah, he should like, he should look at it and be like, I can beat him out for that job. Um, and it could even be a situation where to your point about like, if they need more offense, maybe it's Zaboral getting knocked out of the picture and, you know, Lori plays in matchups where the Bruins think they need a little more offense. Maybe they're not facing, you know, a top power play or whatever. Forbert plays if they think they need, you know, a little more defense that night, or, you know, they are facing a top power play. Like, Lorai can contribute and be on the NHL roster without necessarily playing every single night. He can't do what Zaboral did last year. Like, you can't have him on the NHL roster and then have him go a month without playing. That doesn't help anyone for a kid who's still developing. But if he's playing every other night or something like that, like, to me, that's still valuable. You know, we've seen that before where like, you know, a Tyler Sagan wasn't a full-time player right away, but it was like, but he has a role and he's going to play often enough that it's worth having him here. Um, so that's also a possibility.
0: One thing to Bridget and i and I was just thinking about this literally in the last five seconds is that um, because, well, first of all, yes, Scott, that's exactly right. Like you don't, you don't want to ice him out. You want to either have him playing, whether it's in Providence on a regular basis or in the NHL on the bare minimum, like, you know, in every other game pace. Like, you don't want to ice him out. That, that, that yeah. hinders his development for sure. Um, Bridget, also, like, to the, to the Derek Forward thing, like, I was one of those people last year where, like, people were, like, shitting on Forbert, And I was like, guys, look, I was like, the Bruins are scoring at an incredible pace. Like, they have, they have McAvoy, they have Lindholm. They have Orloff. They have all these guys that can push play up, up on the back end and also defend well. It's okay to have uh, a defensive minded guy that just eats shots in the penalty kill in the playoffs. It'll be great. And then, and in the regular season, it was fine. I mean, and, and he even got, but he did get injured a couple of times blocking those shots. But then in the playoffs, it's like the Bruins penalty kill was not great against Florida, and he's a part of that. So I, you know what? Hey, I don't know. Maybe he also maybe. was
2: injured going into the playoffs though. Like I think was did he even play in the last game of the regular season? Is that his first game back? Yeah. He was injured. I, I believe he was I th- injured I think, going into the playoffs because yeah. I remember I was in Montreal and he took he took like him and Felino um took like morning skate or something, but didn't play, I think. So I don't I don't know if I'm remember misremembering that, but he was No,
1: I, th- I think you're right. I think game one was his first game back.
2: Yeah.
0: The only I guess what I'm saying is like I wouldn't I wouldn't sacrifice like the development and potential emergence of somebody with the upside of Lori just that Derek Forbert can get in the PK though I will say to play doubles advocate one of the other reasons I wanted Derek Forbert in the lineup last year was because if so, somebody has to eat shots of the penalty kill right so I was, in my mind it was like well it's either Forbert or it's somebody who's better than him like a McAvoy or a Carl I was like so I'd rather him eat the shots Um Anyway, um, but I think we're all kind of on the same page. It, it, these these spots are for grabs. Play, you know, earn it, play, play for it, earn it, and see what happens. So it's, it's again, there's there's so much to look forward to this year that that like last year going into the season we were kind of like, uh, <laughs> well we got McAvoy up for like what felt like half the season and Marshand out. They came back. They come back earlier than we thought. But even in the even while they were out, the Bruins just took off, obviously. And then it was cut or bust, right? But this year there's just there's so many different storylines to follow uh, and, and so many, like so many players that that are trying to fight for for jobs and, and sh- improve their worth and show that they can elevate their game. And there's a lot of chemistry that needs to be formed. And,
2: and there's and a just- few players that like there, we want to see how much they have left in the tank that are on the, towards the, the end side of their career that right. have been added. And then there's these, there's some players that they've added like both and geeky, who maybe feel like they were just in the wrong fit and trying to find a better fit here, trying to see if they can, um, like resuscitate their career and what they want it to be. So, there's, there's definitely a lot of storylines because there was so much turnover.
0: Hmm. Can you yeah. remember an offseason with this much turnover for a Bruins team? It's been a long time. I mean, yeah. maybe like maybe like that 07 08 season, like when when they brought in um Claude, Claude for the first year and that you kinda had you kinda have like that same vibe where like a bunch of new guys like like Peter Schaefer came in, Glenn Metropolit, like, you know, um I mean I'd go down I mean Lucic, for I mean was one. Like there were so many different guys, like it was such a random mix of players that year. It really was. And they and, and they scratched and clawed their way to a playoffs.
1: Yeah, that was and, and that was really like Craigie's first full season, I think. Like he had like a cup of coffee the year before,
0: so Bergeron goes down the whole year. Glenn Murray's on your first line. Um, Petteri line is on your fourth line with Jeremy Reach. Remember those guys? <laughs> like, uh, I mean, PJ Axelson was on that team. It was such a, a – Chuck Kobusu, you know, was 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 one of your, like, better forwards that year, right? And, like, so, yeah, you know, sometimes it's, there's, when there's a lot of turnover, like, there's a – but, again, this, this Bruins team, top to bottom, they still expect to compete and, and, and contend for the playoffs at the bare minimum. So it's not like these guys don't have any pressure on them. Oh, there's so much turnover. There's so many unknowns, but like, no worries. If you guys don't perform like, no, it's their hundredth season. And so that's another element of it where it's like, it's all these new pieces, but the pressure is still there to perform. And, so
2: it's like, and that creates a, a massive storyline that we haven't even talked about, which is Montgomery having to coach probably a very different way this year how he's able to go from handling the maybe best team of all time to this team that is going to have to find chemistry. Um, he was able to be the good guy a lot last season, probably not going to be the case this year. Um, he was able to have his leaders uh, kind of dictate the locker room, have Bergeron speak up. Bergeron's not there anymore. So like where are the voices going to come from this season? How much is Montgomery going to have to change how he coached from last year? Cause this is a completely different task for him.
1: Yeah, I I think Montgomery is going to enjoy this season. Honestly, like, if you look at you know him as a college coach, building teams at Denver. When he was in Dallas, that was a team that was incorporating a lot of you know had a veteran core, but was also incorporating a lot of younger players. And obviously, he had a blast last year, right up until the playoffs. Um, You know, a team like that is any coach's dream to coach and this year is going to be more work in the sense of finding the right lineup and all that. But I get the impression like that's a process Montgomery really enjoys is like trying to fit things together, trying to get more out of guys in different roles. Um, And in a way, I think almost sort of suits his style better. Like he had, you know, last year was, was a new experience for him too. Like he had not coached an NHL team like that. That was, the favorite that had the absolute highest of expectations. And that might be part of the reason why he, you know, in the playoffs that got, um, you know, a little loose with the line changes and and whatever was he, he hadn't been through that before and didn't quite get it right. Obviously. Um, I think he's, I think he's well suited for a team like this. That's going to have to, come together and grow like i think those are strengths of his a, as a coach and there's not not that there's always going to be pressure when you're a coach in boston but there's not going to be the pressure of last season of like hey it's it's copper bus like anything even if that team loses in the second or third round it's a major disappointment like this year is different there's there's not going to be that pressure there's still going to be pressure to perform because it's boston and the bruins have a very passionate fan base but there's not that pressure of like oh boy like i i just better not screw this up like the only thing i can do here is screw this up it's not going to be the case this year he can do a lot to help this team come together
0: yeah he absolutely can and and i think that yeah he has a he had a different task last year there yes he got a lot out of some of these guys like frederick and others but it was a very veteran heavy team. And, and while they did replace some veterans that left with some other veterans and Lucic and been reams like in Shattenkirk, like there's clearly a different task this year for, for Jim Montgomery.